Hello, my name is Daniel Lev Shkolnik, and this is Reenchantment, a podcast about finding wonder in a secular age. As a humanist, my faith lies in humanity, not in the supernatural. And if you believe that spirituality is fundamentally about cultivating the human spirit, then this podcast is for you. At their best, traditional religions provided ways of enriching people's inner emotional life. Humanism strives to do the same thing. It feeds the human heart with positive moral virtues, humane and nourishing art, and increasingly science-based psychology. In the last few decades, positive psychologists have begun to give us evidence-based ways of living more fruitful and fulfilled lives. In some cases, even borrowing from religious practices like meditation and mindfulness. My guest today is Bob Faw. He's a keynote speaker and positive change consultant who works to introduce positive psychology to humanist communities. But to me, Bob is also a mentor, someone who noticed my passion for humanism and public speaking and taught me how to better use my voice to speak to and for the humanist community. And now, my conversation with Bob Faw. Thank you for being on the show. Welcome. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Now, the two of us uh, met back when uh, we were both at the Humanist Hub, the Harvard Humanist Hub, and I was giving a short 10-15 minute talk, and afterwards you kind of came up to me and you you generously extended a hand and said, you know, I can, can help you improve your style, improve your, um, your speaking technique. I'm really glad I took you up on that. You've given me some really good advice that I've been, I've been using ever since. Well, first, I just want to quickly say you're leaving out the best part, which is I was <laughs> very impressed with what you did, your insight, your wisdom. I've been doing this for 30, by that point, about 29 years. Mm. So a lot of speaking, a lot of thinking on these topics. Loved what you said, um, the way you said it. You were dynamic and interesting, mm. science-based and positive at the same time. So mm. it's really, yeah. So for me, I said, hey, wow, I can help you get even better, enhance what you're already doing. So I'm pleased that you let me do that. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. So tell, tell um, our listeners a little bit about what it is that you do, what, what you've been doing for, for three decades now. Well, I consider myself a positive change consultant. So my, my big focus is essentially helping organizations and people transform in positive ways. Mm-hmm. And the reason I call it positive change versus just change consultant, because a lot of my colleagues just do change management. But a lot of change management systems don't really take into account how people work. Mm-hmm. And so they cause a lot of problems and issues. And I read the research from positive psychology. I read up on solution-focused stuff, appreciative inquiry, a bunch of approaches which show how to do both, how to make the change process really positive for the people involved. Mm -hmm. So they're engaged, excited, they're giving meaningful input and inspired Mm -hmm. to follow through. And of course, in order to do that, you have to make it a real change. It can't just be a BS. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it has to be authentic. Right, right. Um, so that's what I have been doing for a long time and uh, doing it with organizations large and small and also with individuals too. So it's a blast. And you also bring that to bear into different uh, communities. The humanist community, you were involved in uh, several humanist conferences. Where, where else have you you've kind of lent your voice? Well, gosh, yeah, to your point, many places. I'm, I'm really big into community and how to, how to nurture and cultivate particularly positive communities. Probably the one that was the most transformative for me as well was a nonprofit called Vital Cycles. Mm. 
So the opposite of vicious cycles. How do you change the vicious cycles going on in your life and create more vital cycles out of them? And it was specifically focused for trauma survivors. Mm -hmm. The major, major population that we focused with or dealt with was uh, people who had gone through childhood trauma, many mm -hmm. of it sexual abuse or physical abuse, verbal abuse, that kind of stuff, but also could be military, you know, war mm -hmm. time stuff. And one of the things that I really like bringing to this, and I was the president of the board for Vital Cycles for about uh, seven years, eight years, something like that, mm -hmm. and was I wanted to bring science, mm -hmm. the scientific uh, perspective from it. I also wanted to bring a very positive focus. Mm -hmm. So not constantly reliving or rehashing the past, mm -hmm. but processing it in discrete bits while also teaching yourself mm -hmm. to really thrive in your life. It's beautiful. Yeah. And there's about a few others, but that's probably the biggest one. A, a number, mm -hmm. number of different humanist type organizations. Gotcha. So I know for you, positive psychology is a big part of, of what you do and what you look at for techniques. And so I guess tell... Um, listeners who may not know what positive psychology is, how it differs from regular psychology. Well, Martin Seligman is the founder of positive psychology, the primary course. There's many, many people involved now. Mm -hmm. But he gave a speech back in 99. He was the, the president of the American Psychological Association at the time. And he said, psychology today is only half-baked. Mm -hmm. uh, we focus on what makes us sick, how to not be sick, but we really need to start focusing on how to flourish mm -hmm. and how to live happily day to day and have fulfilling lives. And essentially, that's what they've been doing ever since. So the last almost 20 years now has been really focusing uh, and doing a lot of research and experimentation mm -hmm. on all types of ways to live. So uh, you and I have talked a lot about different movements throughout the years and over the decades about how to, to focus positively to how you you manage yourself, talk, all that type of thing, and how to do that in a way what, that the science actually supports mm -hmm. and that really accentuates it. And it's good because I've been doing this kind of work for about a little over 10 years before, mm -hmm. before I encountered this. And some of the stuff I did was really right on and some of the stuff wasn't so good. The science showed it wasn't so effective. So it really helped me fine tune and improve my, my performance, my tools, and my ideas. Yeah, one of the talks that really uh, introduced me to the to the concept was the talk, uh, the TED talk by uh, Sean Aker, mm -hmm. and in it he he talks about how for a long time, even even much of modern psychology, it's based on looking at the problems that humans have, yeah. and and using statistical methods to basically look at the average of of what a certain population is like. And Sean Aker says that if we study what is merely average, we will remain merely average. And so people like him and others in positive psychology, they're, they're looking for the outliers, those, those people that perform above what is expected sometimes. That, you know, what are the techniques that they use? What are the characteristics that make them more resilient, more positive? And I think many people would, would like to know those things, not, not how to be just average, but how to be more. I think that's profound. I think there's two major things that you can look look at for real wisdom here. So, because some of the outliers do things that won't work for us. Mm -hmm. Each of us is a unique individual. And so we can learn some best practices from them. And the other thing, so this is, a lot of this came out of the Gallup research, which is not considered technically positive psychology. And it's more based on surveys and stuff, but it lines up a lot with the research now, mm -hmm. which is strength-based work. 
So essentially, uh, there's some really great terms coming out these days. Uh, a lot of slang I'm not, I'm not a fan of because it brings people down. <laughs> okay. But some of, this, some of this slang I think is fantastic. So the living your best life. Mm. And I love that it's a simple little phrase. I hear people, uh, particularly young people, say that. And I think it, it really is one of those few pieces of, of idiom that if you unpack it, every piece of it's really good. So living your best life. Mm, not somebody else's. Not somebody else's. Not trying to mimic someone else. You can learn and adapt from other people, but you're you're adapting to you and, and what's best about you and what your strengths are. I actually have a tool that I created uh, many years ago called Best DNA. It's discovering what's best about you that other people value. Mm. So it's that ability to really tap into your strengths, your passions, your sense of purpose, and ways that really add contribute to the world around you. Mm. Yeah. And so in terms of slang and new words that, that are kind of being developed these days to talk about positivity, self-improvement. Uh, you mentioned one earlier, um, flourishing. You know, that, that's something that, especially in kind of humanist circles, atheist circles, a lot of people uh, use that word as to kind of describe what, you know, what they're striving for. How do you understand uh, flourishing? Well, I, I want to say first, I'm so excited to see more people in the atheist communities take this on. When I first sort of exploring, I wanted to connect with other people that didn't believe in God, and I wanted to find out. And a lot of times I was really discouraged and bored mm -hmm. by the negativity or the judgmentalism that some people had, whatever. And I, I can empathize with a lot of those emotional reactions, but my thing was more about wanting to flourish. Mm -hmm. And by the way, Martin Seligman wrote a book called Flourish, and uh, or Flourishing, anyway, really good book whichever the title is. And I, I love the fact that and that's one of the things I love, actually love about the sort of data-driven skeptical thinking, mm -hmm. where you're not skeptical for the sake of just being putting others down. You're saying, well, what's the data say? Mm -hmm. Let's follow that. And that's, I, I'm really excited about that coming out of there and flourishing back to your question. Mm -hmm. it, it, essentially, it's living your best life, <laughs> but it's, it's moving beyond sort of the survival of just getting through the day, going through the uh, mechanics of it, having the logistics in place, to enjoying yourself more, to feeling it's, it's well-being on a multiple levels. Mm -hmm. So Sean Acor talks about happiness a lot, which is certainly a major factor, but it's a fleeting emotion that comes in and out. Sure. In addition to happiness, so certainly having a happier life overall is part of flourishing, mm -hmm. although not necessarily that important for everybody. This is part of why it's important to find out for you. And so for me, I love being happy, but my life is better. I flourish more when I'm making a significant difference in other people's lives. Mm -hmm. Even though a lot of that work might be grueling or frustrating, or there might be, there's going to be rejections along the way, failures. But when, when I see those transformations, the fulfillment at a deep level helps me to feel like I'm really flourishing. Yeah, I was, um, was going to mention uh, that as well, that you know, happiness is something that, you know, has become a, a kind of cliche, you know, goal in our society. Like, we, we want to be happy, you know, but really oftentimes happiness is, is, is illusory, you know, because of the very nature of happiness. Uh, right. If you make that your goal, then once you reach your goal, you kind of reach a plateau or you, you know, kind of fall back down again. And uh, your goals, once you achieve them, they only keep you happy for so long and so we constantly have to move the goalpost further down the line and so are constantly struggling towards happiness and, and never really staying there yeah. but I've, I've heard people talk about you know 
rather than pursuing happiness, we should we would should rather be pursuing meaning, as you were talking about. And, and meaning is not necessarily that we're constantly in a good mood. It's not necessarily you know something that is always making us feel good, but that is giving us a sense of purpose, and and a byproduct that could very well be happiness, joy, and and, and delight at what you what you're accomplishing with other people within your own life. Yeah, I. I think it's one of those things, uh, so our brain does this really interesting thing which often put things into false dichotomies. Mm-hmm. Focus on happiness or focus on meaning. Mm-hmm. And I actually think the best answer is a balance of both. Mm-hmm. It's same, same with a lot of these things, but to say, so for me first, the first most important thing is to, to build around in my life the activities that bring meaning mm-hmm. to myself and other people. I don't believe there's intrinsic meaning in the universe, etc. At least there's no compelling evidence to me to that. However, we can make profound meaning in our lives by finding out what, for each of us, to find, finding out what really brings us fulfillment. And for many of us, it's making a difference in other people's lives, which is an understandable evolutionary psychology trait, right? To have, to have a cohesive species. But So to do that, and if there's, now there's multiple options. There's thousands of ways I can make meaning. So I'm going to choose the ones that tend to also use my strengths, mm. that tend to have more of the byproduct of happiness, mm. that tend to connect me with more like-minded people. So it's this balance, but I think it's, I would say it's what do you put first mm. that matters the most. And I have some friends that have very happy lives focusing primarily on the superficial happiness. Mm. And I love to go to parties with them and hang out with them. They're a blast to hang out with. And I still prefer to spend a bulk of my time with people that are really going after deeper things as well so it's a yes and for me yeah yeah you know i on this podcast already you know i I bring up meaning making a lot and i guess you know i figure i think it would be useful to 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 kind of give some more concrete examples uh, of what what that actually looks like so you know in my in my own life you know i'm a writer uh and a thinker and when i am when i am working on a piece of writing, whether it's poetry for for somebody whose daughter is is battling cancer, or whether it's a piece of writing for uh, a friend that that you know is struggling and needs some uh, some help, some hope, some light, or if it's you know whether it's something like this podcast where I'm kind of giving people new ways of thinking about their lives that will hopefully translate into you know a, a deeper sense of meaning for for them a deeper sense of connection like oh no there are other people that think like me or there's another way of looking at reality that i've never considered before you know for me these are these are really really powerful things that give me a sense of purpose so i wanted to ask you what are what are some you know are the really concrete ways you found to make meaning in your life wow <clears throat> one of the things i will just say that when i, I do the best dna tool I get to ask that question to lots and lots of people. Mm. So I see there's a variety of things. There's certain patterns. As I said, probably the predominant one is similar to mine, which is making a positive difference, mm. but it's how we do it. Mm. So for some people, it's just caring for someone else. I need to see transformation mm. for there to be real meaning, real fulfillment. Whether it's you know helping somebody see the world differently, as you said, right? A different perspective on something or... I have a nephew and niece who they're like children to me in a lot of, well, they're not, they're adults, but they're like my children. And, you know, I love them so much. And one of the things that's the most gratifying to me is when they come to me with a problem Hmm. 
and and celebrations, but I can help them solve things mm-hmm. or to deepen their uh, psychological understanding of how the world works or how to flourish mm-hmm. or how to be even healthier. Mm-hmm. And that's, I mean, this is like multiple layers because they're family, they're close to me, I love them, mm-hmm. you know, incredibly. And I feel this, I feel the similar thing to a lesser degree with pretty much anyone. I've had, you know, Uber drivers, countless, because I travel a lot, well, pre-pandemic, travel a lot. And so I get in a lot of back, you know, a lot of cabs, Ubers, less than ever. And I actually often have some very profound conversations. Mm. And it might be five, ten minutes. Yeah. But people say, wow, you just gave me some real insight. I'm going to go talk to my daughter about this. Mm. Or I'm going to change this habit. Mm. Or something like that. And even that brief exchange, for me, gives me a sense of meaning. And that's something that uh, you do everywhere you go, it seems, right? Yeah, well... Not everywhere, because sometimes I'm burnt out. Right, <laughs> sometimes right. I'm fried after three days of speaking, yeah. and I just put on my headphones. But yes, all over the world, wherever I've been. Mm-hmm. And then, and, you know, I'm, I'm extreme extrovert, and I love that. And there's times where I just like to walk in the woods by myself mm-hmm. and feel a sense, you know, when I really tune into it, I'm connected, I'm enjoying what's around me. Then I feel a sense of me, a different kind of meaning, mm-hmm. a more subtle, quiet, where I, who I am kind of falls away. Of course, the same thing as looking at, you know, images of stars or galaxies far away. Mm-hmm. It's a profound... I had a friend of mine who believes in a number of different deities. Mm-hmm. And yet we both talk about... Like we've watched Carl Sagan's and uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson's Cosmos series. Mm-hmm. And those kind of things. And it's a profound sense of connectedness knowing how small we are. Mm-hmm. There's some meaning in that, which I think can be... I don't quite know what the word is, but solidifying inside or grounding yeah in some way yeah 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 no it's you know i i wish there were more words to talk about it other than you know sacred but i mean for me like that's that's a i think a word that people people kind of know what it is what it what it's pointing at yeah but it's you know yeah it's this this sense i think of you know being being awed and 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 stilled by you know, the universe, by the universe big and small. Yeah. I guess something that came to mind, you were talking about how you've, you know, you have this DNA tool and you best ask... Best DNA, yeah. Best DNA. And you, you ask, can find at bestdna.com, by the way. Shameless marketing <laughs> blog. <laughs> <laughs> I that out. But uh, you asked this, this question about what gives uh, people meaning to, to many yeah. people. What Are there any patterns that you see? Are, are there any particular kind of standout examples in your mind that yeah. you've, you've heard? Well, and I'm going to throw something out too for listeners here, is that I don't actually ask them that question. What I ask them is... Tell me a story of a time where you were you did something and you felt incredibly fulfilled by it. Mm. It made you feel happy or it made life feel worth living. Mm. That type of feeling. And, and why why a story? Why a story? Because people have a hard time with these abstract concepts and words, but if they can get in touch with a story and start telling it, they come alive. The mm. feelings, and this is one of the cool things that comes out of both the positive psychology, but also neuroscience around priming, mm-hmm. is that when we're Priming essentially is where inf- our brain is being influenced and our mood, our perspective, our confidence, etc., our decision making, all is being influenced all the time mm-hmm. by what we're absorbing and what we're thinking. And when we're telling a story mm-hmm. of a time when we've been very fulfilled, it puts us, it changes our biochemistry. Mm-hmm. 
it's essentially some, it creates some of the biochemistry of spirituality, which we've talked about before a yeah. lot. But that sense of where we feel bigger and feel stronger, mm-hmm. it activates what the, the nickname uh, is the altruism center part of the brain, mm-hmm. where you, and you feel warm and you feel connected. And when you're in that state with that flood of biochemicals in your mind, you're more likely to be able to get in touch with is fulfilling to you mm-hmm. and then associate with those words and then also then choose future actions based on that. Whereas mm-hmm. trying to get them just to do it cold, mm-hmm. what are things that will make you fulfilled and how can you do more of it? It's, it doesn't, you haven't warmed them up inside yet. Mm-hmm. And they're still being primed by the last experience, which might be negative. And I want to warm them up and get them that space. So what, 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 is, what are some of those stories? What are... Oh my gosh, there's just so many beautiful things. And it can range from uh, cooking beautiful food for other people, cooking mm-hmm. tasty food that nourishes them. And at the end, people come up with their own best DNA motto, which is a phrase. And there's many different phrases like that. And the stories that they have tell behind it are very moving. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't always hear all the phrases because sometimes I have 500 people in a room mm-hmm. or 60 people online or something like that. But I get to look at these mottos and sometimes listen in on the stories. And there's things like fixing people's problems. Mm-hmm. Some For some people... And this is a rare thing, I would say, probably, uh, of the people that admit this out loud, because maybe some people say this and don't tell anybody, but it's, you know, just winning, Hmm. just beating other people at things. And is that, and, well, I guess, like, you know, the initial uh, connotation of that is is maybe negative for some people? Yeah. And and I think it probably has limited fulfillment value. Hmm. Because the research is pretty overwhelming, and this does, and and it shows up in the answers that I get from people, is that a vast majority of people find the deepest fulfillment in their connections to other people, mm-hmm. particularly if it's taking care of the sick, help just helping people who's or down, mm-hmm. feeding people. Matter of fact, there's been a lot of executives who say you know, who are wildly successful financially, and they say that's all fun. It's like the happiness that comes and goes, mm-hmm. as you mentioned. But what really moves me the most is mentoring young leaders coming up mm. or reaching in and, and helping someone who is a minority, ethnically or gender-wise, in my organization blossom mm. and shattering the, helping them shatter those glass ceilings. Or you know, just a vast array of specific ways that people do this. Mm. And one of the great things about the stories is that when you tell people, and I'll have them interview each other in stories and they write down their notes mm. and ask them, what did you see in their faces? What did you hear in their voices? And they said their voices got lower and deeper. And they were more, their smile or their, their face lit up. Mm. And instead of sort of fast, jittery motions, they, were, they got deeper and more connected. Mm. And they often felt inspired, sort of pulled in when mm. someone's telling that story. So that's another reason for doing the stories is it builds interpersonal connections between people, mm. which is part of what builds fulfillment. Yeah. So I like all of my interventions to actually create the connections and the fulfillment that mm-hmm. we're talking about. Not just talk about how to do it, but do it as you're, you start to create it even as you're analyzing it. Mm-hmm. So I guess, is there a, a technique or practice that uh, you can recommend, you know, somebody listening to this right now that might help them get in touch with, you know, their own sense of what what makes them fulfilled or or if they feel that they don't quite know maybe how to find that? Yeah, so there's a couple. And what I find is some work better for other, some people and some work better for others. And so one, of course, is telling the stories of, of a time you're really fulfilled. Mm-hmm. And then going into it and saying, who was there? What did you think at the time? Do you remember what you felt? 
what about it was the most important. So essentially dive into it. The other thing, because some people find that really easy and some people find that difficult. Like they just don't think that way. So the other one is think of a time at work or in a volunteer role, whatever, where you felt energized. The, the, the things that you were doing excited you. It wasn't arduous. You were maybe in that state of flow, which is another positive psychology thing that's been folded into positive psychology. Chick mm-hmm. Say Mihai, the Hungarian psychologist, came up with that. And, and flow, flow state. Flow for people who don't know. Yeah, so flow state is some people know it as sort of being in that zone, but you're you're performing at your higher highest level where you're growing, you're you're doing your best without the insecurities, the self-consciousness necessarily. You're just in it and you're going with it. And there's a great deal of joy and fulfillment that can happen so it's a deeper state than happiness mm-hmm. and it's for me my i that's part of why i try to seek doing activities that I, I find fulfilling when i can be in a flow state and happiness comes out of it mm-hmm. for me and for other people so again it's not one or the other it's how can i get multiple layers mm-hmm. of meaning and flourishing in my life at one time mm-hmm. so finding reflecting on stories telling literally telling those stories to yourself where you know you have felt a sense of fulfillment and meaning yeah. and figuring out like the details of that who was there what was happening and what activity specifically or what was it that somebody said when was it that you felt the most energized mm-hmm. or the and most then, fulfilled and then also looking at the this flow state when are you when are you working and and performing at your best without yes. without internal resistance or friction um, but just kind of going. Yes. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, it can be some resistance or friction, but it's not, you're not even paying attention to it. It, it can be part of the, the excitement. I've, I've heard, I've heard people talking about flow, like what goes into it, that there's, there has to be both a challenge yes. that you have to be challenged by whatever you're doing. But at the same time, you have to feel like your powers are, are up to it. Yes. And, and when those uh, two things are there, that's when you kind of really kind of, uh, focus in yes. and, and, are, and are work, you know, working at your best. Yes. And the easiest time to, to identify that is in sports, for example. Mm-hmm. I used to do a lot of rock climbing. Mm-hmm. And when I was on the edge rock climbing, but really enjoying it. And again, the internal concerns nothing else existed i used to actually call it vertical meditation (laughs) because that's what it was it was focused purely on that Mm -hmm. Uh, and that's part of the whole mindfulness and meditation value Mm -hmm. is that helps you be completely present with something so flow is being completely present Mm -hmm. in that state which our brains inherently if we're accomplishing something find very gratifying yeah yeah, no, it's funny. You know, the first thing that came came to my head in terms of flow is like when I'm when I'm playing pool, and mm. when I'm really on point, it's just you know the balls are going in. Yeah. Like uh, you, I I know exactly where where each shot wow. is going to go, and yeah, it's 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 a combination of a practice, right? You yes. know, building up yes. the kind of muscle memory, the uh, the mental you know, strategies of whatever activity you're doing, but then being able to let go. And let that let yourself really, really just live it. Yes, and I think our brain goes into evaluative mode very easy. Mm-hmm. Is this working? Am I right? Do people like this? Do they like me? Blah blah blah. And that's stressful, and it's mm-hmm. not fun. And don't get me wrong, we have to go into that mode sure. fairly regularly sure. for a lot of reasons. And it can be so blissful to get out of that mode mm-hmm. and not be there. 
So socially, for example, I've done, obviously, with my work, I socialize a lot because mm-hmm. I, meet, I meet tens of thousands of people or I have met tens of thousands. And it's, and I enjoy that. And I, people used sometimes earlier in my speaking career would say, wow, you just get up there and take all kinds of risk. And I say, well, because I'm experimenting and I'm pushing the edge all the time because I learn. I said, well, aren't you feel afraid of failure? I said, well, if I fail, I just stand up and keep going. Mm-hmm. I, I prefer to look at it as an experimentation. That's more of a flow mindset. Yeah. So I'm doing something to learn versus saying, is it going to be success or fail? Yeah. That's not the point. Mm-hmm. The point, matter of fact, this is a profound thing for those who want to speak publicly or go into meetings or be, be really present in relationships, is to go in with the intention, the purposeful intention of making the right difference in the other person's mind. Think, what is it I want them to get from this conversation? Focusing on that, mm-hmm. not am I doing this right? Am I doing this good enough? Do I sound stupid? Mm -hmm. Do I sound awkward? All those things actually lower our productivity, lower Mm -hmm. our ability to contribute because Mm -hmm. we then get self-centered. We focus on ourselves instead of saying, well, no, how can I be here with you? Mm -hmm. And when I speak in front of a crowd, even if it's hundreds of people and I'm just in tune with the crowd, I'm there like, how can I really give them the best I can Mm -hmm. and help? So every single person when they walk out of here has enriched mentally, you know, emotionally and hopefully with a new habit in mind that they want to put into practice. Mm. And when I'm focused on that, I can be in the flow Mm. because I'm just playing with that, moving with it instead of trying to, is this the right thing to say, analyzing, and then too much of the brain is taken up with anxiety instead of them. Yeah. It's a bit more of a dance Mm. with people versus off on the side analyzing it. Yeah. Not too long ago, I spoke about spirituality as psychology, as basically a kind of psychology before psychology. And, you know, there are, I think, there's certain aspects of religious and spiritual traditions that, you know, have tried to basically give people different emotional states, whether um, it's ecstasy or uh, tranquility or whatever it may be, humility, soothing, peace. Absolutely. Uh, or, uh, rage or, to kill. Rage to kill or, or, or whatever um, they need, yeah. Giving, giving a, people a sense of compunction or release of, of guilt. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it seems, it seems like there, you know, positive psychology is, is not a very old field in no. psychology. It's, um, it's less than 20 years old. Less than 20 years old. And so I, you know, I can't help but, uh, but think that, you know, there are uh, certain things that I've heard positive psychology recommend, like, look around for gratitude, you know, in your surroundings, you know, do like conscious acts of kindness to, to people, your friends or, or co-workers, and, you know, you can, you can find parallels uh, in mm-hmm. certain religious traditions. Absolutely. I mean, saying, saying grace before a meal, uh, you know, Dude, gratitude, and thank you for, for that we have food, that we're not hungry, yeah. or, you know, if you're, you know, doing being being compelled by the moral system of a of a religion to to do good acts that you you know knowing that you will be judged by by what you do as a as a good or a bad person you know it is you know prompted people to do good acts and i think that is a a, a kind of a feedback loop people sure. realize that this this actually feels good to to be good right i i think there's there's so much empirical wisdom and, and to your point, a lot of it's muddled because it's in with beliefs that either just don't make sense to someone or they can actually be damaging, mm-hmm. quite damaging to one's relationships or self-esteem or whatever. Particularly if you grow up 
let's say, uh, a woman in an orthodox, you know, or extreme fundamentalist sect, right, which is constantly telling you that you're a lesser being or you're sinful or you're evil, whatever, right? So, and yet they might have some practices in there, some mindfulness practices or uh, things that can bring a sense of humility. So I think the key thing is to find are there practices that you can adapt that bring humility, but not humiliation. Mm-hmm. There's a, and that's one of the saddest things that I think, particularly about a lot of the quote unquote Western religions, but the Judeo Christian, the monotheistic religions, another way to say it, right? But there's a lot of humiliation. Yeah. And are not, you know, ate from, ate from the tree of knowledge and therefore you created sin mm-hmm. um, and you're bad, or, you know, women have their, their monthly pain for a per- reason as a punishment, right. right? All this kind of born sin for all those things. Um, a lot of humiliation in there. And I think. At the same time, you can look at like St. Francis of Assisi, who mm-hmm. communed with the with nature and the birds and a lot of the mystics, the Christian mm-hmm. mystics, who found humility, which to me, uh, the beauty of real humility is knowing who you are, no more, no less. Mm-hmm. Not putting yourself down, but knowing that we're just a small little piece in the grand scheme. Mm-hmm. Matter of fact, that sense of humility is probably a lot of what we get from the Cosmos series mm-hmm. or whatever that might or learning a new thing about quark theory or you know whatever it might be but that right. wow the world is so much bigger and more fantastic than i can ever imagine i can't even conceive of these things mm-hmm. there are people out there who can understand things that i will never understand yeah wow that humility so there's practices and i think that's that's the good thing is sort of to go to approach these practices particularly if you grew up mm-hmm. in a faith faith-based practice of some sort to say what was there. Mm-hmm. So I grew up in a Christian household. My father was a minister and I worked with kids when I was uh, younger and I didn't know how to really do well with kids. And I used to, I made this practice for about six months because I read this book about doing this. So I would pray every morning that God would uh, pour his love through me into the kids. Mm-hmm. So I'd be loving, kind, patient, respectful, mm-hmm. supportive. And it was really interesting because I felt blissed out by that. The prayer itself made me happy. The giving love to the kids made me happy. And this was an amazing thing because I grew up with a lot of violence as a kid. I didn't have this as a backdrop. I didn't know how to do this intuitively. But after about nine months of doing this, at some point, I was reflecting on myself going, I'm doing this myself. It was. It no longer felt like it was coming from outside of you. Yeah, I don't know if it ever fully felt like that, but I became more aware that it wasn't coming from outside, mm-hmm. that it was happening in my own mind. And so the cool thing was, though, I said, okay, so this prayer, so for, I had colleagues who would pray to get a parking spot. <laughs> you know, I tried that. Did not give me bliss. No sense fulfilling. And it did not increase my likelihood of finding a parking spot, I don't think. I don't think that's the right way to use prayer. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. But some people some people pray for parking spots, I guess. Oh, people pray for everything. Yeah. Right? So for a lot of people, I think uh, their, their gods or their deities or the universe, whatever it is they pray to, is like a puppet that they want to pull the right strings. or It's sort of a amorphous Harry Potter world where you say the right incantation and things will be given to you. And that that can have some value in the short term of feeling like you have control over the world because I think, and this is a, a we're going to go really deep here for a second. I, I think one of the deepest fears, hardest things in the world to, to really face is what we're powerless about. Particularly if it's if we've been really hurt at some point and we haven't been able to accept it. 
the powerlessness over being able to stop all the police violence that we've seen, the powerlessness to stop racism, the powerless to get my mother to love me, the powerless to get my spouse to come back, you know, whatever it might be. But that, that deep agonizing thing, which of course is just next to and overlapping with the fear of death. Because if I'm powerless, I could die. So the thing is, I think a lot of these practices are, a bit to, are built over time to soothe that fear of powerlessness. Uh, and I've had people tell me sometimes, well, Bob, when you talk about the science and you say that you don't believe uh, that all these magical things are going to happen to you, are you trying to take away people's joy in life? Are you trying to take away their calm, but soothe them? I said, no. What I want them to do is feel soothed like an adult, not like a child. Yeah. Children, children believe when you say that there's a magical thing to fix them or that you turn the light on the boogeyman and it'll disappear, they believe in Santa Claus. But as adults, we're always questioning. Yeah. And I find the most joy is actually accepting what we're powerlessness, powerless over and then going after what we can do and enjoying that. So it's a much more mature mm. calming and soothing. Yeah. 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 No, and it's, you know, I think that's one of the kind of hopes that you know, we can bring bring people as as humans, as, as non-believers yes. that, yeah. that focus on human potential rather than kind of um, trying to pick fights with, with believers yeah. is that, well, you can actually get the benefits of religion offers, but you don't have to also kind of accept the burdens of, of what, what religion kind of mandates. And I think so many people stay in with their religious traditions and kind of put up with them because, well, they, for many reasons, uh, but you have community there, yes. you have techniques and mm -hmm. ideas uh, that work, that, uh, as you said, give yeah. you comfort. Give traditions you... that prime you for a sense of connection, belonging, exactly. including. Yeah. There's, so, there's a lot of beauty in every faith group that I've seen. Even the worst ones provide some powerful things. Yeah. I, there's two things I want to address in what you said. So one is, I used to call myself a non-believer, but I don't anymore because I believe that humanity can continue to develop and be more and more incredible all the time. Mm -hmm. If you look over the last 400 years, like 500, 600 years ago, the concept of human rights didn't exist. Yeah. Right? Only for kings and queens. Mm -hmm. There weren't rights, though. There were things that... And they may have to make up stories that were ordained by God. They're, that's why we have it. They're constantly fighting each other, killing each other, etc. And the idea that we have rights and it's and that happiness and then joy and fulfillment matter. These are really modern things. Mm -hmm. You will not find these in almost any of the old writings. Now, some of the Buddhist writings are exceptions. There's some there's some deep wisdom in Buddhist. Mm -hmm. Some of the Buddhist writings, the right action, right thought. Mm -hmm. But the last 20, 30 years, there's wisdom beyond anything I've ever read in any of the ancient stuff. That is coming out in... Psychology. Positive psychology, neuroscience, mm -hmm. the, just the field of relationships, looking at sociology and how we get the best out of what we can. Mm -hmm. And so I'm, I'm actually a huge believer in the potential of humanity yeah. to continue this path. Mm -hmm. Despite, obviously, as if you look at the world around us, of course, there's you know tons and tons of things that aren't going the way we want. It's not a, a lockstep process. Everything is moving forward. Everyone feels the same way. That's true. very, that's not true at all. It's, it's, there's billions of people. Yeah. Yeah. And tens of thousands of interlocking communities and cultures, and and so and so things are moving. But I think overall, historically, in the last hundred years, well, 105 years ago, there was one, like two democracies in the world. Now there's over 90. Wow. Yeah. 
No, it's taking not not just a bird's eye view, I think, but like a satellite eye yeah, view yeah, right. of, of history. And like, you, if you look at any one day, you can look at the news and say like, oh, well, yeah, everything's going to shit. But over looking over larger spans of time, the, the kind of the bar of the universe is being is of the world is being pushed and towards at least humanity. Yeah, yeah at least at least not humanity. not the world is is progressing as we are. Sure, sure, sure. We've certainly done a lot of damage to parts of the world, but humanity is my major concern. Yeah. But obviously, if we can make our world better too at the same time, that's a really good thing to do. Yeah, yeah. So I I wanted to to also talk a little bit about the particular tradition in American spirituality, the new thought and, and also the new age tradition. Mm-hmm. And the reason I, w- I want to focus on them is because in many ways they they kind of used many, many similar techniques to positive psychology before positive psychology was really around. Mm-hmm. The new thought movement started in the 19th century. It was started by a clockmaker called Phineas Quimby in, in Maine. Love and, that name, Phineas uh, Quimby. Great name. <laughs> he he was he developed this this idea of new thought, which in essence was signified that one's thought could unlock secrets to living a better life, free from cons- free from the constraints of religious doctrine or dogma. So this was actually very hmm. very much along the, the lines of the transcendentalist uh, movement, and it was a kind of uh, one of those the early strands of humanist thought. Yeah. But it, you know, very quickly became conflated and, 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 and became mixed with certain spiritual ideas or supernatural ideas. Right. A, a particularly good example of this was the Church of uh, Christian Sciences. This is not Scientology, but a church founded by Mary Baker Eddy, who was a Christian and actually here in Boston was, is where the, mm-hmm. the mother church is. But for them, the, it was all about basically using positive thinking and to overcome your problems. And that may be kind of financial problems, that could be uh, a lot of times health problems. And oftentimes people reported that these uh, these techniques, they worked. And what it, what it was, how it was pitched, and how it was kind of taught to to the masses was that it was your your faith in in this belief mm. in Jesus Christ, right. along with this positivity that was allowing this healing or success to happen. And this is something that that has had a huge influence on American uh, spiritual thought. The the book in The Secret that came out in the in the two thousands is 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 an updated version of this kind of sure. positive thinking. You think it, and you will be able to manifest it, bring right. it into your life, and it's still incredibly popular today. As, yes. as and I I want to I want to ask you these these uh, traditions, they. Essentially, I, th- I think what they're doing is essentially saying, like, use these techniques and they will work. And because they work, our supernatural belief is true. Right. And, but I think what's actually going on there is that they're using these, essentially, techniques that are akin to positive psychology that really do work. I would uh, call these brain hacks. Brain the things hacks. that hack into the way our brain work yeah. to deliver certain results. Not all the results they claim, of course. Yeah. Right, but and yeah. they use they use these brain hacks as kind of like the proof in the pudding for their yeah. metaphysics. Sure. What are your thoughts on 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 movements like these? Well, I mean, so I think the first one you talked about, where you said we can we can use this type of positive thinking uh, without all the the baggage of dogma. I think that's fantastic. I think every time we can get down to the core of something, uh, understand what more what works, and shed all the unnecessary beliefs around it. Well. 
it, on the plus side, it gives us a lot more power, and you don't have to have the all the challenges that go with the the, the dogma or whatever. On the downside, there's a fair number of people, as as you found out in the Christian Scientist movement, is that really, really want to be told how to do something. And that can be incredibly freeing to not have that sense of responsibility, right? So it can be a liberating sense to, instead of fight the powerlessness, to say, I am, and someone else is going to take care of it. Right. That can be hugely calming. So there's a lot of gain that can come from those things. And I think one of the challenges when you have an external locus of control saying that the power really is out there, whether it's God, Jesus, Muhammad, Buddha, or the universe, which has become very popular in the last couple of decades. I've never quite understood what, why people say the universe. What is it about the universe that, with all my study of cosmology, astrophysics, I, I don't see anything in the universe that's actively trying to help us, but whatever. But it's, but it's, it's just, I think it's a watered-down version. It's sort of a god light for people that no longer want the theology, but still want an external locus of control. Yeah, those people that, that look to the universe uh, as, as a source of healing, protection, power. Yeah. I mean, I had a colleague the other day, we were talking about trying to get a gig, and he said, I said, well, I'll, I'll let you, if it happens, we'll see if it does or not. He says, well, I trust in the universe that the right thing will happen. And I was <laughs> flabbergasted because I didn't know what he meant. Like, is there somebody up there pulling strings on the earth? And sure, that's what he sure. means? I didn't quite know what that meant, but... But he's seen. But he's also a very he's a profoundly calm and kind person mm -hmm. who does great good in the world. And I was thinking, okay, so this is a brain hack for him. Mm -hmm. I'd rather sit with the uncertainty personally, mm -hmm. and not not pretend that that things happen for the right reason. Mm -hmm. And the reason I don't want to make that pretension is that they're also. I think it dishonors the people that are being really harmed. It's like somebody the other day told me that this was really astounding. She said that Jesus, I'm renting an apartment, that Jesus had helped her find this, my apartment, yeah. which I ended up turning her down, so clearly he didn't. But also she talked about how three of her brothers have been abused by Catholic priests. So I'm thinking, so Jesus cares more about you finding an apartment than your brother's emotional, mental health. And they've suffered their entire lives ever since then. They've never fully recovered. Yeah. So I think one of the challenges when you, when you have to take the theology with it, you have these huge things that just rip up your brain. Yeah. And you have to come up with denial patterns, one after the other to admit it. Whereas I think, one of the things I'm really excited about positive psychology is they're saying, let's look at where the data drives us, not just look at what soothes us. Yeah. Don't get me wrong, there's plenty of people in positive psychology who adopt all the universe stuff, or God or Jesus, or whoever it is that they're, they're looking to. But the, ex the internal locus of control, being able to say, what is it that I do have control over? I know that vast majority of, of life in the universe, I have no control over whatsoever. And I have a tiny bit of influence on my surrounding and other people and the environment. But on myself, I have, I can make a difference. Mm -hmm. And I think, particularly if you want to feel profoundly connected to yourself and other people, it, for me at least, what's really, really helpful is slowing down and saying, I'm okay, even though the, the world has chaos. Yeah. It's okay to be a human, to be a homo sapien, an incredible great ape in this world where most things are out of our control. Mm -hmm. Almost everything is. Yeah. I can still go out and enjoy life and be there. And to me, that humility, without pretending that anyone's controlling it, mm -hmm. is, is more powerful and actually kind of exciting. Yeah. It's like riding a roller coaster or something. Because like, I'm not pretending it's all going to be all right. No, that's part of the thrill sure. of life. 
is knowing we don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. And it's not in anyone's really control. So let's just do the best we can. Yeah. No, I think much of, uh, much, much of, I think the, magic of some of these some of these movements um like take manifestation for example they they are they are kind of brain hacks uh, as mm-hmm. you say like i i think parts of them are brain hacks yeah in the secret that so one of the things the research has shown is that putting out saying you have these intentions makes you more open mind you're primed now to look for those opportunities absolutely right but assuming that you're going to magnetize it to you which they're not their word but it's uh, something like that they say mm-hmm. the universe will bring it to you once you've written out your board yeah is not true, of course. You're far more likely to see something out there. You're more likely to say yes or go after it. That's the positive. Mm-hmm. On the flip side, the research has shown that if you focus too much on the goal and not enough on what to do to get there, mm-hmm. you, you're actually more likely to fail. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So setting the goal is really good, but then a majority of your time is, should be spent on two things that these books don't cover. Mm-hmm. What, where you've been successful in the past and what's the next step you can take. Mm-hmm. to get to where you're going and those actually move people forward and that those both also build fulfillment and confidence mm-hmm. whereas only focusing on this vision board which most of it usually doesn't come true for people mm-hmm. then you're constantly having to fight despair yeah the magic's not working right right but as well like i think we we talked about this at one point in the past like when if you're putting intentions out there so to speak oftentimes you're also you're telling people about them you're telling mm-hmm. your friends you're telling your yeah, your social that's networks a powerful help. I, I had a, a friend recently who like was starting a trying to get into like a new a new industry and she was posted a, a, about it on on facebook and me and a bunch of other friends uh, who had some experience there we you know contributed uh, our, our help our hand our, mm-hmm. our expertise and, uh, and i was talking with her on the phone later and she was like you know what i it's just it's amazing like i just put out this intention into the world and like it's just it's just happening it's like well people are are what's, hap- are what's happening people yeah. are your friends the people that yeah. care about you see want you to succeed and they're you know just like me like they're they're there for you and it's really the the, the magic and the, the the wonder that we care about each other we love one another even if we're not direct family direct friends like we want other humans to succeed and and embedded in what she just did is one of the one of the one of the powerful brain hacks that they won't say in the books but is that a certain amount of false optimism is helpful Hmm. because if i think and that's one of the powerful things about these tools and these movements right is saying if I think the universe is going to give it to me, then I'm not afraid of telling everybody that it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Whereas if I'm really afraid it's not going to happen, that there's no chance, because for most, like, if you look at the statistics and how many businesses fail, right? Over two thirds of businesses fail in the first year. Mm-hmm. And the second year, another two thirds fail, right? So failure is extremely high. Yeah. And almost every one of these people was confident they were going to make it. So confidence is not a guarantee of success, but it's a, it's a far more likelihood that you're going to try. Yeah. And it's far more likelihood that you're going to tell people about it. Mm-hmm. So it's like when I do speeches, I worry about what might go wrong when I'm planning. But in the day or two before I get up there, complete confidence. Mm-hmm. Even though I know it's not completely realistic, I, but I'm purely focused on when I'm up there, I'm going to connect with every single person. I'm going to keep looking for every person and how to connect with them. That's all I'm focused on what to do right. Mm-hmm. Because that, and that is the power of a lot of these things. So they get people with 
very low self-esteem, low self-confidence, but they don't have the ability for internal locus of control yet. Not enough of it. I mean, everyone has some, of course. So it gives them a facsimile of that, right? I now have said the magic spell or I've done the right motion. And then I can go out and make a difference. So they're actually now much more likely to succeed. Mm-hmm. There's research that was really fascinating on this where they were looking at college students and they were wanting to find out between optimist and pessimist mm-hmm. who were more realistic. Because mm-hmm. pessimists say, well, I'm just being realistic. And what they did was they asked them to scale, rate themselves, scale it one to 10 or something. I don't remember what the scale was, how much they're liked by their friends. Mm-hmm. And then they'd interview their friends. How much do you like them? And what they found, two interesting facts from this. One is that the pessimists were more accurate. Okay. Two, the optimists were more liked. Interesting. Yeah. So accuracy is only worth so much, skeptics. And I'm a skeptic myself. <laughs> so being right is only worth so much. Sure. But being able to get out there and be liked and liking other people and mm-hmm. seeing the best in potential in people, even if it's not always likely to come true, you're still going to gain far more out of life. Yeah. No, and I think that's when I when I hear people talking about uh, auras, like one a, a person's aura, their their energy. That's I think that's what they're talking about. Mm. I translate it in my head. It's like, oh, it's it's their charisma or their 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 vibe as a human being. Do they what do they put mm. out? Are they helpful? Are they do yeah. they smile? You we we take in so much information about people's body language, about their faces, and uh, tone and of we, voice. Yeah, the way they move. Yeah. The, what, what, how much we like them. All that. Yeah, and it, and it almost and it feels it feels uh, like. We just have a feeling, a gut feeling about somebody, yeah. and we don't know where it comes from. Well, it, it comes from all these subtle, subtle cues that, yeah. that we take in, and, and we, we have a, an emotional reaction to a person, yeah. sometimes almost instantly. Yeah. But I think all of the stuff we've been talking about today, it's all very new. Science and psychology have been really focusing on how, how do we make our lives not just, not just okay, but like really better, greater. Mm-hmm. And I think the movements like humanism could really benefit, I think, by focusing on this kind of, these kinds of techniques. Because I think, as I said before, many people stay in their religious traditions or faiths because they do get some positive from it. Sure. Up till, you know, recently, the, you know, atheism has, has not had a, a great public face. Sure. This skepticism has been very pessimistic at mm-hmm. times. And and just point out everything that people are wrong about, which sure. nobody appreciates that. Nobody appreciates it, yeah. 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 But I think these the, these are a whole toolkit and, and paradigm of, of techniques and ways of looking at human beings and the potential of human beings yeah. rather than our shortcomings yeah. that could really be something that attracts yeah. people and yeah. serves as a source of hope and of yeah. light and of yeah. positivity yeah I, it's one of the things I love about you Daniel is that you're looking at that and you're looking above and you're looking at what what's good in all these different things because I think that that is what's has made me much happier more successful person I don't have to deny a single negative thing to choose to look most of the time at the good stuff it, there's some really great research that Barbara Hedrick, Hendrickson and I forgot the other researcher in positive psychology. Mm-hmm. And because they realize that focusing on positive is more powerful than negative. But if you exclusively focus on positive, you're going to fail too. Interesting. If you focus on negative exclusively, you're going to fail more often and faster. <laughs> so it's balance. Yeah. 
Yeah. No surprise. Everything in life is like that. You find the right balance of goals, the right balance of activities, just like sleep, rest. Excuse me, sleep, exercise, <laughs> um, fun, meaning, things like that. Earn money, go have fun, whatever. But so the research, uh, I won't go into all the details about the research, but I'll say that what I, what I teach people, and I actually have videos out on this very topic, but about aiming for 10 to 1 ratio in your conversations with other people. It's based on high-performance teams. So 10 to 1, meaning 10 times as often in our relationship, I'm going to focus on positives. So goals we have, what's working, what's worked in the past, what potentials we have, all that kind of stuff. I even paused you earlier on when you were talking about how I came up to say I could help you. Because that sounded like I was focusing on your, that you weren't good enough. And I really wanted to be clear, wait a second, I saw great potential. I got great strengths already in you. And I wanted to help you accelerate that even faster. Yeah. See the 10 to 1 in there? Sure, sure. So, but the one, and this is the key factor that a lot of these folks that are it's not being scientific about positivity, is they're not focusing on the dire truths. Yeah. Hard truths must be faced yeah. to succeed. I mean, I've had people come up to me after speeches, and not not last five years, but the first five years when I really started focusing on the, the brain science here, they would say, yeah, this is great stuff. You always got to stay positive. Stay positive. I'm like, no, that will kill you. Mm-hmm. And they look at me in shock. I said, the thing is, you need to focus on negative when you have to, and then get off of it to what you're going to do about it. Yeah. Off, of it off of it to what can work. Mm-hmm. Off of it to what's good about your spouse, what, what can work about your team. And if you balance it 10 times as much, you're going to talk about and you're going to focus on what does work. Mm-hmm. Not ignoring the negative. That's the thing. You're not ignoring it. You're just choosing. And this is part of why the internal locus of control is so important because you're saying, I can choose how much I focus on these things. Mm-hmm. I'm not relying on some other deity or some, somebody else. I'm going to choose because nobody else can tell you how much to focus on these things. Yeah. You can create practices from positive psychology. They have daily gratitude practices, et cetera, et cetera. All these are helpful. But you have a friend going through tremendous loss right now. Mm-hmm. And it would be absurd for her not to, her, her husband has recently passed, right? And it was surprising. It was very heartbreaking, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so when we're talking about this together, she says, you know, Bob, what are your thoughts? And I say, so my thoughts are every day, spend a bit of time where you can feel any negative emotion. You can write it down, you can write, draw about it, you can rage about it in private, whatever you need to. You, you want to honor him and you with that grief. You might even set a timer so that you stop, mm-hmm. get out, get something done. Mm-hmm. Because we need to grieve a little bit about life's pain. But if we overdo it, we go, we dive. And yeah. we don't get out. Yeah. And if we overfocus on the positive and, and run, 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 and don't grieve, we'll collapse into depression. Yeah. Or ends up using drugs or not sleeping well. Mm-hmm. Or having a mental, you know, mental emotional breakdown, whatever it might be. So, if you want to flourish for a long period of time, you have to face hard truths, mm-hmm. but ten times as much face, deal, and focus on the good stuff. Create, cultivate that, particularly around the news. Yeah, especially around the news. Especially, I hear a lot of people saying. So many people have said, "I was so obsessed with the news about COVID nineteen, all this stuff's going on, 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 on," and then I just stopped. Wait a second. So overwhelming yourself and, mm-hmm. and ignorance, neither one are good solutions. Yeah. How about instead focus making sure that during that day, you're absorbing, you're digesting 10 times as much stuff that gives you hope and pushes you forward, but still find out what you need to do to be careful in your neighborhood. Yeah. Still knowing who you need to vote for. Yeah. 
but focus on what's good about your candidates, not just what's bad about the other candidates. Yeah. yeah. Well, Bob, I want to bring it to the last part of the show. Every time I bring somebody on, I ask them for uh, a new word uh, or concept to help help us talk about deep, purposeful, sacred things, even without words that are loaded like sacred and spiritual. What is the, the word or concept uh, that you've either invented or, or bringing us today? I won't tell you the invented words, but I will tell you the word that I love and that I have shared in many situations, whether with trauma survivors, whether with CEOs, people trying to transform their lives, is thrive. Mm. And it's essentially a synonym for flourish, mm. but to seek to thrive in your life, mm. to to really have the, a full life that physically, financially, emotionally, relationship-wise, uh, your practices, your work, right? The balance of those things. And to me, the best of spirituality that you can glean from a lot of practices, you can create your own practices. Mm-hmm. We're, we pick up practice, practices and habits from those around us. Mm-hmm. So that's why people can gain so much from, the, from going to these groups. Find groups of people that you want to hang out with who eat the way you want to eat, who think the way you want to think in terms of positive moving forward, who are willing to be by your side when things are hard, yeah. who aren't going to brush it aside and saying that's just whatever their higher power is, that's just their will. It's like, no, no, they're willing to say, I'm sorry, that hurts. Mm-hmm. Pat your back while you cry or whatever, but then celebrate successes with you. Because the research shows that we optimism is contagious and so is pessimism. Mm-hmm. Matter of fact, physical condition is if we hang around with people that are active we tend to get leaner if we hang out with people that are uh, couch potatoes we tend to get fatter so it's all these things to cultivate your environment to thrive because you're worth it life is worth it and life we've got this one life so that's another expression i like is the yolo i know it can be a little trite <laughs> at times but i love that you you only live once yeah. if you really take that seriously it's an existential uh ring it's a bell it's a it's bell, a bell. It's, uh, right you know, wake up wake if, up yeah it doesn't mean go out there and take ridiculous risk which some people take it to mean <laughs> at times but it does mean live fully and yeah. thrive and there is some risk in living fully yeah there's but there's much greater risk risk in living closed down yeah you never you never end up living at all exactly yeah or a miserable life yeah all right bob thank you so much for coming on the show you're welcome it's a pleasure talking with you as always yeah thank you ditto Thank you for listening to Reenchantment. You can find the links mentioned in this episode in our show notes on our website, reenchantmentpod.com. And if you like the message of this podcast, please, please, please subscribe and let one other friend know about the show. This is a young podcast, and like most things, it needs love in order to grow. Thank you, and see you next time on Reenchantment. <laughs>